This week's episode is brought to you by K16 Solutions. Whether you need help migrating course content to a new LMS platform or are looking for a more affordable way to archive student data, visit k16solutions.com to learn more about their migration and archiving solutions. That's k16solutions.com. Welcome to the EdSurge podcast, where every week we look at the future of learning. I'm Jeff Young, a reporter and the managing editor of EdSurge. Taryn Southern is a performer who likes to experiment without their technologies. She has recorded a pop album that she co-wrote with some AI code. You're listening to a little bit of that right now. And she has created a digital clone of herself that she can use to make videos for her popular YouTube channel. With the permission from the real Terran Southern, AI Terran can speak different languages. Hast du schon einmal von synthetischen Charakteren gehört? Inhabit different faces, ages, genders. That is from a YouTube video by that clone. Terran has been a celebrity of sorts ever since she was back in high school. She was a contestant on the TV show American Idol back when she was 17. And she was a pioneering YouTuber going viral with a comedic video supporting Hillary Clinton's first presidential campaign. She even hosted a travel show back in 2006 where she jet-set around the world meeting friends that she had made on MySpace. If people remember MySpace, it was kind of a precursor to Facebook. These days, she is a digital strategist looking at how things like blockchain, the metaverse, and artificial intelligence might change human expression. And she recently shared her latest predictions and thoughts with educators at the ISTE Live conference in New Orleans this summer. I was able to sit down with Taryn Southern in person right after that talk. I'm happy to say I got to sit down with the real live version of Taryn, not her AI clone. Of course, I was very curious to talk about her excitement around this technology. But I also wanted to hear her thoughts on the potential downsides for humans if AI does take on a greater role in storytelling and creative expression. I started by asking how she sees AI fitting in with education. I think you can look at AI, at least in the context that I discussed it today, as, as, um, as a collaborator, as, a, as an artistic and creative collaborator to achieving your goals as a storyteller. The AI is a collaborator. You're making it sound like a, <clears throat> a person. Usually I, I think of a collaborator as a, another human. Yeah, exactly. And I think in this way, you know, the AI gets very good at doing one thing very well. And there's an iterative process of working with it that is really empowering. So, for instance, if you have a student who's doing a, a series of educational videos on uh, TikTok <laughs> and they need to make interesting music, for those TikTok videos, now they could use artificial intelligence to create the music in a specific style, let's say Calypso style, because their video is focused on that era of sure. time. Yeah. Um, you know, that's just one very small example of how you could utilize um, utilize AI. Another one is if if you're recreating moments from the, from history, you're mm -hmm. doing a presentation on Amelia Earhart. Well, maybe you want to take her old photographs and use artificial intelligence to bring them to life into these more dynamic moving visuals. Well, you can now do that too. Could you just describe like what the process of like was like making yourself as a VR? You said like pixel by pixel, you were like recreating yourself and yeah. then you can see this video of you, the virtual you. Yeah. Um, what was that process like or what surprised you about it, you know? Yeah, at one point when the pandemic hit and I realized that I would not be able to film 
standard production for some time, I decided to uh, I decided to ingest a bunch of video material of me speaking to camera into an AI neural net uh, known as Hour One AI. And this neural net was able to analyze the hundreds of hours of me talking to the camera to develop a, an AI Terran. And the AI Terran can be fed audio clips, written word to then uh, essentially produce a finished video of Terran speaking. She can speak different languages. You can alter her identity. It's a pretty interesting process. Um, but yeah, I, I, I found that to be... You know, a lot of these tools I'm now using as a post-YouTube creator. Um, I'm doing them out of experimentation. Uh, but I can imagine that if I was still making a lot of video content today, that this would be very useful for me. Yeah, post-YouTube post creator. But do you feel like this has the sense of that newness that you felt with the YouTube back in the day? It does. It, do, it does in the sense that like we just don't know what these tools will enable creators to do and to make and we can't conceive of what's possible before it's here on kind of a more simplified example I think a lot of the formats that people love on YouTube today would never have come about had YouTube not proliferated so vlog formats challenge videos kind of choose your own adventure series I think YouTube enabled new types of storytelling and engagement with audiences that, you know, in invariably changed the way that we think about content. Um, and I think AI will continue to push those boundaries as well. So next might be AI. I mean, some people are a little concerned, obviously, with like deep fakes, which, you know, for those not knowing are like where someone takes an AI of Terran or somebody and then twists, you know, what you said against your, the person's will. Yeah, um, yeah. What do, you, what do you say to people who are just like, wow, this might be too much? Like, are there too many ethical and, you know, kind of practical challenges? Yeah, these are very real and very important questions. What makes my AI Terran um, really exciting to me is that I'm in control of AI Terran. I'm in control of what AI Terran says and doesn't yeah. say. Now, if someone were to get a hold of AI Terran or hack AI Terran, that would be a problem, right? right. Um, and the reality is at some point these tools will be so ubiquitous that I think anyone will be able to make an AI version of anyone. And we've got to have safeguards for that. And I know a lot of the companies in the space are developing watermarking technology. There's also blockchain technology that will you know, eventually become part of this adoption process to ensure that the original creator is the person who owns their likeness and no one else can get access. You know, Using these blockchain technologies double factor authentication, all of these things so that identity is not something that is compromised. Um, you know, but we're seeing on other levels, uh, technologies like this being exploited. Um, on Instagram, we already have filters mm -hmm. that have become enormously popular. That's AI at work, just taking your face and, and transforming it into something else. And now all of a sudden you're someone else. Um, and, and this has societal implications like far-reaching ones. And so we, we do have to talk about all of these things. Um, and I think it's young people that ha have to ultimately decide. Um, they, have to, they have to really decide how, because they're the ones that are evangelizing a lot of these technologies and creating the most from them. And I think they're going to have to decide what they're willing to trade off in terms of privacy, in terms of security. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the older generation is a lot less open to losing privacy and security than the younger generation. And that's an, there's an interesting um, 
chasm there mm-hmm. that might need to be might need to be bridged. After the break, does she think the metaverse will really catch on? Or is it just maybe a fad? Stay with us. What do UCLA, Old Dominion University, University of Memphis, and Miami-Dade College all have in common? Well, they and hundreds of other institutions have used K-16 solutions to help them migrate to their new LMS, then archive their student data. Traditional LMS migration options, like manually migrating courses one at a time, or using bulk migration tools that leave the content fragmented and incomplete, are simply outdated. And so too is archiving student data on an expensive legacy LMS, or in unreadable cold storage. Introducing System Migration and Data Archiving by K16 Solutions. System Migration is an automated solution that allows you to move online content from one LMS to another, capturing details such as course structure, quizzes, tests, and even question pools. And with data archiving, administrators can archive student data on K16's platform at a fraction of the price and access that data quickly and easily at any time in their new LMS. Finally, an LMS migration and archiving solution that's kept pace with the rest of technology. To learn more about K16 Solutions products and services, visit k16solutions.com. Now back to the episode. I also was curious, you mentioned the metaverse, and I were covering that um, quite a bit, and curious about where you see that, go, you know, do you see that as something that, you know, is there there there? There's been a lot of technologies that have been hyped in the past yeah. by big companies, yeah. and they you know, some take and some don't. Yeah. Um, like 3D TV, you know, or totally. then they fizzle. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, the Ben VR headsets for a while, they really haven't gone mainstream, yeah. despite a lot of efforts by, you know, Meta and everybody mm-hmm. that makes them. Um, but what do you think of the of the metaverse these days? So I do think that there will be a there there. And I do think that there there now is still an important critical foundation layer being built. Uh-huh. Um, I think what's happening is there's there's this really interesting convergence of different technologies that I'm seeing get closer and closer to meeting in the middle. So you've got VR, which, as you pointed out, back in 2017 had its big heyday, and then it just kind of went bust. Um, you've got AR, which has been sort of developed along the side. Um, augmented reality. Like where you can engage with the world while still the, having yeah, your yeah. space. Um, but those, the technological constraints or boundaries on AR are much more significant than VR for a number of different reasons. So that's just taken a while to get off the ground and the applications are limited. Then you have blockchain technology, which is still in its infancy when you're looking at consumer-ready applications. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you have neurotech and biometric tracking devices. So things like eye tracking devices, um, EEG headsets that that act as brain-computer interfaces, um, all kinds of things that can use the body and signals from the body as tools to um, send signals into a device, an external device to tell it what to do. And what's happening in all three of these spaces is exponential growth. And I think what needs to happen for the metaverse to become real, personally, I think AR needs to be at a sufficient place where people want to put on the eyeglasses every day. They're not too bulky or heavy, and they have a premium experience happening in front of their world. 
I don't think people are ready to go into a dark room and put on a VR headset for 10 hours a day and experience the metaverse that way. I think I think that the AR experience will launch us, at least in terms of a major social change and integration of metaverse. I think it will be AR technology. Um, and I think when the AR technology starts to integrate with our bio-tracking technologies to make it easier to move about the world around us and still be connected to our digital devices, game over. And I still think all the work done in VR is not for jest. I think eventually it'll be one set that starts off AR, and then when you want to go into movie version, movie vision world, it's just a flip of a button or an extra little piece that you put on. Um, but I think it's absolutely the future. It's just a matter of getting the technologies to a place where the, the consumer friction isn't too high. Right now there's a lot of friction. Friction of... of- where of where of like what it looks like the experience i i was this is a few years ago now but i did some experiments with journalism in google glass mm-hmm. which How now is a laughing stock but back before back when it was ahead its moment right no it went terrible people i couldn't get people to you know wear the device to document their life right like as a journalist i'm you know like talking to people like you and saying like help and, and I thought this idea of, like, doing a documentary with somebody walking around with one of these would be, you know, would be cool or interesting to see their POV, their point of view. But, you know, nobody would do it. It was too invading of their, their other, the others in their life. And, um, you know, even I had a couple, you know, we did a couple experiments with people, but it was mostly, like, friends of mine who would be willing to do it. Yeah. And, you know, I think that now there have been many chance you know experiments since then and the tech has come a little way but i still wonder you know like because the it seems like there's other things that come into it um but maybe if ar are are not you know filming everything maybe that would help Mm -hmm. i don't know yeah i mean i think anytime anyone's filming we we already live in a world where you you have to be concerned that people are filming you at any time Mm -hmm. (laughs) digital devices uh high, high hidden surveillance cameras ring doorbells it's just they're everywhere and I think we forget sometimes as people who didn't grow up with this technology that it's there. Yeah. Um, and we have to develop sensitivities to that. Um, but we'll see. Ultimately, I think it's the younger generation that's going to call the shots on where this goes because they're so comfortable with technology. But will there be a will there be a kind of swing back when they get a bit older? What do you th- yeah, I mean, what do you think the biggest barrier will end up being? I mean, you've kind of we kind of talked about some of the technology culture. Um, you think it is it going to be that willingness of privacy or is it something else even that we haven't talked about yet oh man i think i think privacy and identity are are top of the line our our health data are uh i mean we we're going to see after this week's supreme court decision we're going to see a lot of um digital apps that help women tracking their menstruation are going to be under fire for whether or not they're selling data to the government um these are new very new problems for us to deal with and it's going to take a lot of time to sort through how we work through them but you know that's these are not new issues in a, in a way like whether or not our health records are being sold to facebook and other companies has always been a, a question of of contestation um mm-hmm. you know how much are we willing to let our the companies that we purchase from know information about us. We have very little choice in the matter, but we can certainly take a number of steps to prevent 
um, as much information as possible going out there. But it really just comes down to people understanding what those implications are um, and how they are relevant to them. One last question. With, you know, you're a creative person, right? You're, you've done all these creative, you're doing these things like acting and singing. Um, and the, you know, these AI tools that are your collaborators in these experiments, they can do a lot of this stuff, you know, better than humans in some ways, like you said in your presentation. Do you worry about humans being outstripped in this, in the creative realm by AI? I don't only because, and maybe I'm being a bit um, naive in my opinion of this, but I don't because I think people like to engage with works of art from other people. I think that there's a sense um, there's a sense that humanity has been baked into that work, that the time and the energy and the emotion put into that work has intrinsic value. And we see this in the art world all the time. An artist will sell you know, some painting for a ridiculous amount, and it's because the story behind the painting mattered so much to the buyer. Um, and stories, human stories are, are of high value in the, in the artistic creative world. So I don't think humans will be pushed out, even if the AI art is better, um, by all measures. And I think we, we just have, we, we really do want to connect with other people creating art. So I think it comes down to our own choices and what we want. Well, I'll leave it at that. Thank you so much. So great to meet you. So great to meet you. Thank you, Jeffrey. This has been the Ed Surge Podcast. Every week, we look at the future of learning. You can follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you haven't already, sign up for our podcast newsletter at edsurge.com. Just go to the top right and click on newsletter. This episode was written and produced by me, Jeff Young. And you can find me on Twitter at J.R. Young. Music by Rowan Jane. And we'll be back next week. Catch you then. We'll go out with a longer clip from the AI clone of Taryn Southern in a video she posted on her YouTube channel. She can even relaunch her YouTube channel by creating new videos without the real Taryn having to shower or leave her bed. And perhaps most importantly, the real Taryn can now focus her time and energy on solving more existential problems. Problems like, what does it mean to have an AI twin? Am I creepy or intriguing? Do AI humans like marshmallows? I believe we do. Anyway, it's really nice to meet you guys. I will see you all in the Matrix. Or somewhere. 